the Word of God. I don't know if you do, but, um, but I do, uh, recognizing that it is the Lord speaking directly to us. And to have the voice of the Lord is probably the greatest thing we'll ever have on planet Earth. To be able to have the voice of the Lord in our lives. Uh, there are many, many voices, and the Bible tells us there are many voices, and none of them are without significance. But, uh, but to have the voice of the Lord, that is the most significant voice you will ever have in your life. And so it, uh, it deems necessary that we actually read it, that we study it, that we, um, that we digest it, uh, so many people have said to me in the past, I've read the book, I've read it, uh, I've, I've read it through, I, I, you know, uh, and, and, and you at, start asking them questions about, about things that are in it, and suddenly they don't know what's in it. But then they can quote whole scenes out of movies that they've seen one time. They've seen a movie one time and they can quote a whole scene and they'll, they'll start uh, acting it out and stuff. And, and, and it all really plays into what we digest. We tend to digest entertainment a lot more often than we digest knowledge and understanding. I understand that because I am the same way. If I allow entertainment to take over in my life, I will digest that. But if I desire knowledge and understanding from the Word of God, that is what I will digest. It's all about what we choose to do. Amen? And so I'm excited about the Word of God today because, uh, first of all, if you are part of M90, if I'm, I'm not memorizing these verses, I, I don't have the, um, <laughs> I don't think I have the capacity to memorize um, as much as these young people do, but, um, but I, I read them every day, I pray about them, and, uh, but uh, we have been going through Psalm 27 in M90. And if you're not familiar with what M90 is, our young people take on a challenge every year, every summer when they're out of school. Uh, it's called M90. They memorize 90 verses of Scripture in 90 days. Keeps their mind fresh while they're out of school, and, um, and it helps them to get the Word of God in their life. And so um, we have a little bit of a, uh, some of the leadership, we have a little bit of a text thing every day, and uh, every day we do M90, and uh, usually uh, Sister Boyd sends it out first, and then Sister Pauline sends it out, and, and uh, so it get, I, I get it twice, usually every day, and um, so I read it, and uh, I don't really usually make comments to it. Um, but uh, but anyway, some people make comments to it, and it's wonderful. It's awesome. But but the the big thing is that Psalm twenty seven. Since July second, since July second, we have been um, we have had a Psalm, one of these verses every day since July second, and um, 
And so Psalm 27 has been really speaking to me a lot. And um, I, I enjoy Psalm 27. Uh, we sing a song actually out of Psalm 27 that uh, I don't know if Sister Jerry Joe might want to sing it tonight or not. I don't know. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. Um, but uh, but anyway, let's go to Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, uh, Brother Calvin's, I think, going to put it on the screen. But uh, we're going to we're going to read the whole thing first and then we're going to kind of go back and I don't know how far we'll get today we may get through the whole thing we we may not because it's the word of the Lord and and we're not going to be in a hurry but uh, but I want to speak on this topic faith will praise faith will praise and so Psalm 27 starts out it says the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the strength of my life of whom shall i be afraid when the wicked even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh stumbled and fell though an host should encamp against me my heart shall not fear though war should rise against me in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear! O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait On the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a tremendous psalm. It's a psalm that that really has been an amazing help in probably millions of lives. 
when we start to read through these psalms, and I don't know if you are a psalm reader or not, not a palm reader, a psalm reader. I don't know if you're a psalm reader or not, but uh, these are prayers. These are easy to pray. When you're struggling with prayer, open your Bible and start praying a psalm. Many of these psalms were written in times of distress or in times of celebration. Many of these psalms were, 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 were prayers that were, were dug out of David's heart. Uh, we, we, we know the psalms to be David's psalms or David's prayers, but not all of these psalms were written by David. There was, there was a, a large, there is a large group of these psalms that are not penned by David. The, the beginning of the psalms, many of the first ones that we read, those were penned by David. This one happened to be penned by David himself as well. And David being a man after God's own heart and a man that, that we uh, will Try, try to our hardest to try to reflect the the same modes or methods of praise and adoration because we know God accepts those methods. We 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 tend to we we tend to uh, almost make a celebrity of David. However, we're not supposed to do that. David is a good example. In his praise, he's a good example in prayer. Um, he, he is a, a man who from youth learned to pray. He, he learned to pray when he was out in the pasture, if you will. He didn't learn to pray in the house of God. He didn't learn to pray around a group of people where he watched them pray. David learned to pray in solitude. David learned to pray while he was, while he was watching his father's sheep. David learned to pray when he was on a hillside, probably unsure of how he was to progress in the day's events. Uh, Looking at a group of sheep and and probably wondering from a young child, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with these sheep. If they start stampeding, I don't know. Sheep don't really stampede, but if they take off stampeding, if if a wolf comes in and eats eats a sheep, if a coyote comes in, if a bear comes in if a lion comes I don't know what I'm supposed to do with these sheep I'm a kid I get a little bit of instruction from my dad but for the most part I get thrown directly into the fire recall David was not really celebrated by his father when Samuel comes to anoint the king of Israel Jesse doesn't bring David in from the field until Samuel says, wait a minute. These seven that you have standing before me, the Lord has not chosen. Is there another? And Jesse finally says, well, yeah. But he's out watching the sheep. He doesn't really matter. He's not king material. He's just a kid. He's not really, he's not what you're looking for, Sam. And Samuel says, we're not sitting down. We're not eating anything. We're not going anywhere until you bring him forth. 
So Jesse fetches David in from the pasture where David spent his time playing his harp, sharpening his slingshot skills, watching the sheep, and singing psalms. I don't know what the other seven were doing. Bible doesn't tell us anything about their lives. I don't have any idea what they were doing. But we do know what David was doing. David was building a relationship with God. He probably didn't even think of being king. He was too worried about the sheep. He, had, he was concerned about the flock. Being a king is far from his mind. But isn't that who God uses? God uses those who, who look at, a, at maybe a flock of sheep or, or a, a group of something or somebody and, and, and says, I need to manage that the best I can. And while I'm managing that, I'm going to sing some praise. I'm going to offer God some praise. I'm going to spend my time wisely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sharpen my, my slingshot skills. I'm going to play my harp and I'm going to talk to the Lord and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and I'm I'm going to sing songs to the King of Glory. And, and, and I don't care. I don't know what the future is, but I know one thing. I am going to spend my time with God. I have no one else out here in the pasture. The sheep, well, they just need to be watched and cared for. But I can't really spend a whole lot of time talking to them. All they say is, back. I mean, I don't know the language. So David spends his time learning to rely on God. This psalm is not one of those that was written when he was a little kid. This song is written, this prayer is prayed, this cry was made while David was under attack by his own son. David's faith relied on three things that he points out in this particular psalm. The first thing is God's personal dealings. The next would be God's past dealings. And the third is God's promised dealings. David knew God in a very personal way. He doesn't know God from stories. Um, some people, that's the only way that they know God is because they hear stories and, and they're stories about God, but they don't really know God personally. David, he personalizes his prayer. He personalizes his, his relationship. He says, he, he says this, he says, the Lord is my light 
and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. David knows God in a very personal, intimate way. That's how God wants to be known. He wants us to know Him in a very personal way. I think it would be an absolute shame to, to pass from this life, approach the Lord in judgment, and you kind of look at Him like, who are you? But yet, how many people in the multitudes of people sitting in churches today, how many people would recognize Jesus if He slid right into the seat next to you and started having a conversation with you? A lot of people would be like, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. You realize that, that that happened on the road to Emmaus as well. After Jesus resurrected, he, he, he meets these guys on the road to Emmaus and they're walking along and they're talking about this resurrected Christ and, and everything. They're talking about Him and He's walking right alongside of them and, and, and they, they don't even recognize Him. They're talking about somebody in a fashion that, they, that, that everybody would know. Well, they would think, well, He knows them. They know Him, but, but they don't even recognize Him. Many of us, many of us hear stories about Jesus and, and we make Him a celebrity, but we don't make Him a Savior. I don't know about you, but, uh, but if, you, if you study current trends, and uh, I... I study them until I get sick to my stomach because Jesus is a celebrity in America today. He was a celebrity in the first century as well. As long as He was healing people, as long as He was feeding people, He was a celebrity. Multitudes followed Him. But when he was talking to people about discipleship, when he was talking to people about how you have to actually walk with me, two remained at the cross out of the tens of thousands that walked with him while he was a celebrity. He never came to be a celebrity. He never came with glamour or glitz. He never came to to take a throne and say, everybody bow to me. He came to be a Savior. Everybody wanted healing. And everybody wanted fed. Everybody wanted the celebrity. Everybody wanted to see the withered hands be made whole. Everybody wanted to see the arms and the legs get replaced. And everybody wanted to see the dead raised. They wanted to see the fascinating things of the celebrity named Jesus. But when it came to walking with Him, 
120 made it to the upper room. Everybody else was outside partying for Pentecost. But 120 were praying for Pentecost. Are we going to party for Pentecost or pray for it? 120 were serious about this promise that was coming from the Father while everybody else was outside just doing their yearly celebration. When you start to look at the kingdom, you start to, you, you start to break down the, the kingdom. You will find time and again, time and again, time and again, that those who know Him personally are much fewer than those that know His celebrity. Jesus cannot be a celebrity. He can't be a flash and a, and a pizzazz and a, and a, uh, just let, let's just let's just get excited and forget walking with him. Don't get me wrong. Excitement in the walk with God is necessary. We need to be excited about what God is doing. We need to praise God for what He's doing. We need to worship God for what He's doing. But we also need to take care of these personal dealings that God has with mankind. When God is our light and our salvation, there really is no need to fear. When God is the strength of our lives, all enemies to our souls are weak. Now, to know that God is our light and our salvation, we're going to have to we're going to have to go through some darkness in order to see some light. Light can only be recognized when it pierces darkness. I stood out in the foyer this morning, looked around, the beautiful sunshine, and I looked up under the thing, under the the overhang out here, and I thought, now why in the world did somebody turn those lights on? Because they're not doing one bit of good when the sun is shining. So I decided to save a few bucks and turn the lights off. Because why turn lights on if there's no darkness for them to illuminate? Why would God fill you with His Spirit if there's no darkness for you to illuminate? We walk in darkness every day. And God fills us with His Spirit so that we can illuminate that darkness. 
God is the light, my light and my salvation. But I only recognize him as my light when I have darkness around me. The great thing about the light of God is that it illuminates our path. I, I, I'm not sure which psalm it is, but it says the Lord, uh, uh, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We, we, know, we know this, that God, God reveals light. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had to deal with some darkness. I've had to deal with some things that I cannot see. I cannot see the path before me. I, 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 I'm, I struggle with God. I need to see where I'm supposed to be going. Otherwise, I am just sitting in darkness. I can't move in the dark real well. Anybody ever bump into things in the dark? I don't move real good in the dark. My, my eyes don't adjust like a cat. I am not a child of darkness. I need light. And so what the people of God do when they don't have the light is they sit and wait for light to shine. Pray for light. Beg for light. Desire light. And I don't know about you, but I am not a very good sitter. My mother always got after me because I didn't sit very long. She says, you just can't sit for longer than about five minutes, can you? I said, I'm trying, Mom, I'm trying. I'd usually end up, if I sat for more than ten minutes, I fell asleep. Because I had to be on the move. I had to be moving. I had to be doing something. I, I wasn't very good at sitting still. I mean, you get impatient when I sit still. Long before ADD was anything, I was it. I'm not a very good sitter. I've got to stand. I've got to move. I've got to do something. There's, there has to be some kind of activity. And, but, and so that's why I love being Pentecostal because I can move. I don't have to stand in one spot or sit with my knees crossed and say, Om, for hours. I love being apostolic. And so I, 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 get, I get to the place in Scripture where, where, where I, I see that the Lord is my light. Thank God, because now I have faith in the light of God. So my faith will praise. I will start praising a God that I can see. Some people say, well, I can't see God. Well, then you just need a little bit more light turned on because God, as Sister Sheila so wonderfully said it this morning, is omnipresent. He's here way before us. He'll be here way after us. David would look at God's creation and say, I don't know how anybody could say there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
I can't sit and just look at the five digits on my hand and try to figure out how any kind of big boom could do that. That's a God that can operate with such detail. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God is our light. He's also our salvation. Another thing about light that I kind of like is um, when I was a kid, I wasn't, I, I didn't think of boogeymen. I, I just, you know, I, I, I never thought that there was anything crawled under my bed and, and uh, or hanging out in my closet. Never even dreamed of it. But uh, but I I, I married a gal who um, we had a, a post on our bed and and uh, there'd be a robe on you know hanging there once in a while uh, once, <clears throat> and uh, suddenly she would wake and she would see that and she would absolutely scream because somebody is standing there. It's a piece of cloth. And oh my goodness, it would just be, it would be a murderous scream. And I thought, well, <clears throat> never hang a robe on a post again. Because obviously it turns into a monster in the middle of the night. I never thought of anything like that as a kid. Of course, I never had a post on my bed, but uh, never even thought of that. I grew up, it was, it was dark in the country. It was dark in the country. Loved it. The only light we had was the, was the moon and the stars, and it was wonderful. We'd go out camping, and we'd just, I'd just lay there, and I would stare at the stars in about two minutes, and I'd be passed out cold. Just enjoyed it. Enjoyed that that silence of the night. That darkness that would overtake a busy, busy day. But there is a comfort in knowing that God is your light and you have nothing to fear because when God is with you, there's no boogeyman hiding under your bed. There's no monsters robes are not people standing there wanting to slaughter the family. Not that she didn't have God with her. She just had this weird thought that somebody was standing there. But when God is your light and your salvation, your little ones can sleep well at night. When God is the light in your home. When God is the salvation in your home. You can sit down and you can talk to them. And you can pray that even though it's going to get dark tonight, Lord, you are the light in this home. And you will reveal to them that there is nothing to fear. Your angels will stand over them tonight, Lord. And thank you for that. And your little ones will sleep. They'll snore. They'll flop all over. And they won't have nightmares. They won't have screams in the night. And 
That doesn't happen until they get older and they start wondering what in the world is going on. Probably because you're not tucking them in when they're older. You're not praying the light into their room. You're not comforting them with the angels that surround. Take some time with your little ones and comfort them before they sleep. Because of my faith, I will praise God. David knew that personal, the personal dealings of God. God delivered him from a lion and from a bear. God delivered him from Goliath. God anointed him king. God, God gave him victory after victory after victory over his enemies. David knew the personal dealings of God. David would go to the Lord and say, I don't know, Lord, but uh, that there lion has to go because those sheep need to live. That bear has got to leave those babies alone. And that giant has to shut his mouth against the army of Israel. David would go to the Lord and the Lord would prepare him. The Lord Lord didn't say, David, go just go out there. David didn't go out there before seeking God. He didn't go out there just saying, I've got this, I can take care. David went out there and said, Lord, I need you to protect me because of the mockery against you. David didn't fight For himself. David fought every battle for others. Read about some of the battles that David fought. He fought for the sheep when he killed the lion and the bear. He wasn't fighting for himself. The the lion wasn't attacking him. It was attacking the sheep. The bear wasn't going after David. The bear was going after the sheep. Goliath wasn't going after David. Goliath was going after the entire nation of Israel David never fought a battle with a personal vendetta he never fought for glory he never fought for the throne in fact David actually walked away from the battles that he knew would glorify him When he could have killed Saul, time and again, that would have glorified David. The soldiers that were with David, they said, Hey, kill him and take the throne. David walked away from those battles because he refused to elevate himself. Saul chased David because he was so insecure after elevating himself. It really tells me a lot 
about how the Lord said, when they smite you on one cheek, offer them the other. Does that mean God doesn't ever want us fighting back? David was a killer. But he never killed for his own glory. He defended the nation. He defended the sheep. He defended everyone else except himself. He never defended himself or his office. Absalom wants to take the throne, wants to kill his dad. And David said, don't kill the young man. Just arrest him, but don't kill him. David wasn't trying to save his throne. David was trying to save Israel. A person that lives like that never becomes insecure in their position because their position was given by God and not by man. David knew God in very personal, personal dealings. Let's let's look at verses 2 and 3. This is a song, actually, that we sing. Um, Calvin, I don't know if you can bust those verses out and put them back up there, but I'll read them. It says, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Yeah, um, we'd rather have Jerry Joe sing that. I know. But uh, <clears throat> but anyway, it's, then it goes on. and says, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me in this Will I be confident? Now, listen. Look, 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 look. If David, if David, we, we assume that David is talking about putting his confidence in verse 4, but he's not, because that's not a comma at the end of that word confident. That is a period, meaning that David is putting his confidence in the previous verses, not the following verses. We would say it like this. That's the reason I'm confident. But because we, because we don't really pay that much attention to grammar, we think that David is confident from what he's about to say. He's not confident in what's following. He's confident in what is proceeding. So now let's go back to verses 1 and 2 and read what David is confident in. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I'm confident in that. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. I'm confident in that. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. I'm confident in that. Then he goes on, he says, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. I'm confident that the Lord is my light and my salvation and my enemies are not going to get me. I'm confident in that. Because the Lord is my light. He shows me my enemies. The Lord is my salvation. He shows me the path. That is good news. And that we ought to be saying amen to. That's something to praise God in. That's something we can put our faith in. That's something that says my faith will praise God. And then David switches gears, but, but he said, this will I be confident. He's stating that although all this comes my way, I'll still have faith in God. Now, verse 4 is not David's confidence. Verse 4 is David's desire. He's not desiring confidence. Help me out here. He's not desiring confidence. He has confidence. His desire is following. He says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And he goes on and says, To behold the beauty of the Lord, inquire in His temple. Now, let me just kind of preface by saying, There was no temple yet. It was still David's desire. The only house of the Lord David knew was the tabernacle of David. It wasn't even the tabernacle of Moses. It was the tabernacle of David at this time. David set up a tabernacle after the pattern and everything, but it was it was uh, it, it was not it, it was not uh, too much different. But it was called the tabernacle of David. So so David had the tabernacle, of the house of the Lord. But many people use this verse to think David is talking about heaven. He's not talking about heaven. Heaven. There are no temples. A temple is temporary. This is the temple of God in the day we live. And it's temporary. He's talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of His life. In heaven... There are no days. It's all day. There's no divide between day and night in heaven. It's all day. You you don't have to break this down too far to recognize he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about here. 
And he desired it. He desired it. David was a worshiper. He desired it. He wanted to spend his days in the presence of God to, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And this temple that he referred to was a temple that he wanted to build so desperately. And the Lord said, you're not building it. But your son will. David passed from this life with most of his desire fulfilled. The only desire we really see not fulfilled scripturally is David did not see the temple. But the wonderful thing is David saw all the materials that went into it. He stockpiled all the materials that went into the temple. David saw all those materials. I don't know if you've ever been involved in any kind of a building project or any kind of uh, some kind, some kind of building thing, but but um, a builder likes to kind of walk around and inspect the materials. They like to see the materials. Once the materials get on the property, they like to walk around. They like to take inventory. They like to spend a little time with the material because after the material is hidden inside the structure, you don't get to see that anymore. So you like to spend a little time with the material. You want to inspect the material. You want to know that the material going into the building is going to be satisfactory. It's going to have integrity. It's going to actually hold the building up. You pay attention to the materials. Anybody who builds pays attention to the materials. David paid attention to the materials. I think it was last week I read about the materials that David actually stockpiled and put aside for the building of the temple. David understood all that he had put into those materials. He understood his investment into the materials. Don't think for a moment David didn't understand his investment when he prayed verse 4. He understood his investment. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. I'm going to invest. Because I want to worship God. I want to inquire. I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to inquire in His temple. I'm going to invest my life in that what I desire. That's David. David was a little bit of an emotional guy. He invested into things that he desired. David's expressing his desire. He's not expressing his confidence in verse 4. He's expressing his desire in verse 4 because he has confidence from verses 1, 2, and 3. His confidence is in the first three verses that, uh, 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 that he describes why he's confident in the Lord. Deuteronomy 23 verse 2 states an illegitimate son shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to his 10th generation now if we just kind of count the begats in Matthew chapter 1 verses 3 through 6 we will see that David is the 10th generation from Judah David was chosen when Judah 
sinned with Tamar. Ten generations prior, David was chosen. God said it's going to be ten generations. And then I'm going to have one from the tribe of Judah. I'm going to have a king from the tribe of Judah. The tribe that I declared the kings would come from. But God had to wait ten generations according to his own word. Why was Saul chosen? God never chose Saul to be king because God had already established the kings were out of the tribe of Judah. He already established that. The kings would come from the tribe of Judah. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The Lord told Samuel, anoint him to be captain over the armies of Israel. But the people said, Oh, King Saul! The Lord said, He's not king. He's not my chosen. My chosen is still a little boy that's developing the 10th generation that's developing I've had to wait 10 generations because Judah sinned with Tamar but my king the Lord said is still out there developing as a young child If you really desperately want a king, go ahead and have Saul. Bow down to him. Adore him. But he's not my choice. He's a good captain. But he's a worthless king. David was king. David was chosen when Judah messed up with Tamar ten generations prior. David was a curse breaker. David was the one who would usher his family back into the congregation of the Lord. David would bring Judah back into play. David brought the tribe that was supposed to be dancing, singing, praising, and kinging back into favor with the congregation of Israel. All while he was just a little kid, strumming a harp, loving God, praying and singing while watching the sheep. Faith will praise. Verse 5 says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set 
me up upon a rock. <laughs> now the beauty comes alive. Pavilion is a shelter. It can also be considered a lair or a dwelling. In this verse, the pavilion is a shelter. It's a secret place, if you will. It's a place of protection. It's a place where David could go and get away from the elements, whether they were physical, whether they were emotional, whether they were spiritual, whether they were weather elements. David could escape to the pavilion and continue to spend time with God. Amazing. David didn't say, you know, God, I think I'm just going to go sit in the pavilion and ignore you and do my own thing. I'm going to take a vacation from you. I'm not going to talk to you for a few days. No, David, when David went to the pavilion, David went to spend time with God and escape time with everyone else. David wasn't the guy that only served God when he was with the people. David served God when he was all by himself. We see David developing his relationship while isolated in the pasture. We don't see David expanding his relationship while being on the throne. Saul, we see Saul not serving God at all until he becomes anointed. And then he serves God only when he's with the people. But when the people aren't around, he goes to the witch of Endor. David is the opposite. David has to get away from the people so he can spend time with God. In verse 6 it says, Now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies, round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. David couldn't offer any other sacrifice because he was not a priest. So he offered what he could. That was sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. David brought to God what David was authorized to bring to God. And he sang praises. while his son is trying to kill him. He didn't bring sacrifices of pity. That's what I would probably do. God, why me? Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? 
He didn't bring sacrifices of depression, which I would probably do. God, why am I going through this? I didn't sign up for this. He brought sacrifices of joy. He said, regardless of what's going on, I'm going to get in the pavilion. I'm going to get where I can, where, where I'm kind of protected, and I'm going to praise you, God. When I get by myself, I know I have to, I know I have to be one thing in front of your people, but all I really want, God, is to be alone with you. They brought sacrifices of joy. Are we joyful when everything's falling apart around us? Are we joyful when our house is attacked? Are we joyful when our church is under attack? Are we joyful when our community is under attack? David didn't say, I'm joyful and I'm doing this because I'm just going to laugh it off. David said it was a sacrifice. I'm finding the only joy that I have, and that is the Lord is my light and my salvation. I'm not laughing at circumstance. I'm not just shrugging it off. I'm digging in. I'm recognizing God is my salvation. God is my light. Faith will praise. Might not be the kind of praise we are wanting to offer, but it's the praise that we will be offering because we have faith. We might be bruised from time to time, We might be even scarred. We might have to be stitched up spiritually sometimes from the wounds from others. But faith will praise. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm not going to go any farther than that.